Coming up this hour, we're going to talk all things coronavirus and what that means for us right here, right now. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. If you want to, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, and wherever it is you get your podcasts. And we've been saying it for a little over a week now. We are in kind of unprecedented times. Yes. Sort of yeah, un- uncharted territory. It's still just crazy. And we knew it would still be crazy, but uh, you and I were talking before starting today that it still feels not just surreal, but like there's no, the, the fact that we don't know what's yeah. coming tomorrow or a week from now when, it, when things and like the uncertainty of everything is just so unsettling and so weird. Yeah. And you and I were talking about like you read one article and you get kind of encouraged like, okay, this expert thinks we're on the right trajectory. We're doing the right things. Then you read like literally the next article you click on and it's like, nope, we're worse than Italy. And you're like, yeah. I don't know what to do right now. Right. And we've got, both kind of landed on like, I'm doing what we're supposed to be doing, staying home, uh, doing what the, what the government's told us. And I, to that point, I don't know what else to really do. Right. Well, we'll talk a little later in the show. Ed Stetzer uh, gave a Facebook live video earlier today that you and I both said, on one hand, it's really good. On the other hand, kind of freaked us out a little bit. And, it really did. Yeah, I mean, that's, and maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the purpose. And maybe that's some of what we need right now. Some of what he was talking about, and we'll get to that later in the show, is that uh, us not being able to meet in our church buildings is not the crisis. The real crisis yeah. is still coming. And so we'll, we'll talk about that later in the show. But I'm, I'm curious, Brian, how are, how are you doing just in the midst of being a dad and a, and a husband and a pastor, how, do you, how are you feeling right now in the midst of everything? Yeah, on some hand, it's a weird deal because on some level, on the day-to-dayness of it, it's actually, there's some enjoyable uh, aspects of this, right? right. Being home, slower pace. Uh, now it's tough being in our house. It started to feel really small with uh, my wife and three kids uh, being all little, my kids being a little older. Um, but in some level, if that's the weirdness of this, because on some level, because I don't know anybody who's sick, none of us are sick. Right. Uh, so on some level, it's like, all right, let's watch another movie. Let's do this. You know, where your know, church is a little slower, but then uh, you be reminded of why we're doing all of this. And it kind of freaks me out. Like I, mm-hmm. I get, uh, it does make me anxious. Like, are we doing enough? Uh, what right. else can we be doing? Am I doing enough for my church? How can I, and, and it's so, uh, unprecedented, you use that word really well, that, that you, you do like, you sit there going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I'm the type, I got to guard myself against getting too fear by like too fearful. Like, mm-hmm. uh, gosh, am I like, Oh, did I just cough? Was that something <laughs> or did, uh, you know, now it seems like everyone's posting articles about how younger people are getting sick and you're like, Oh, I, I just thought this was for older people. And so it's all of that. And so on some high level, especially when it warms up, there's going to be really enjoyable aspects of this mm. Been hanging out with my kids more than I ever have. Um, but then you get reminded as to why this is happening. And for me, uh, that kind of raises the anxiety. It kind of raises the stakes of it all. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not typically that prone to anxiety. I certainly am in some aspects, but I, you know, I think I can tend to be a little too Hakuna Matata probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, feeling some of that shift has been surprising, not only to myself, but you know, to my wife 
who will a couple of times say, I've never heard you talk quite like that before. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I've ever felt like that before. You know, like it's a, it's a very odd balance. But like you said, there are some moments where it just feels like a normal day. And yep. it's been, you know, I have a two and one year old. So yep. trying to like keep them happy. My wife, God bless her. She's like trying to make it educational still. Uh, which of course, the two-year-old's like, his attention span is about 46 seconds. So he's on yep. something else. FaceTiming with the family. Um, trying to keep those relational avenues of connection consistent and open and making the best of our day. But yeah, definitely feeling like the house is getting smaller, you know, waking <laughs> up and looking and seeing snow. Now that was like a big, that was like the big kick to the teeth. Like, are you kidding me? I was that like, was come on. <laughs> People are like, it looks pretty. You're like, well, okay. I mean, thankfully but, it's all, you know, kind of, it's gone now, but it, it has, I kind of oscillate between, oh my gosh, what is happening in the world right now to, oh, I almost forgot, you know, like once the kids are yeah. a bit, my wife and I are like, oh, let's watch a show on Netflix. And you're just sort of hanging out like a regular. And just, I'm wondering if people feel the same way of sort of the, that part almost feels like your equilibrium is always off because one yes. moment just feels normal. The next moment, I, you know, maybe you're full on panic. This is why I think establishing like habits and rhythms is more important now than ever because yeah. habits don't just, they don't just form our schedules. They actually like form our, our spirits, our souls. And I think because everything's sort of thrown into a tizzy, having some sense of like, this is when I wake up and I'm going to turn off my phone, you know, for an hour a day, turn everything off for 24 hours a week. Um, you know, having things like intentional scripture reading or worship music. I just think there's really small things that we could be doing or should be doing. And maybe a bunch of people that are you're way ahead of me and you've been doing this for a long time. But I think being intentional about the rhythms of your day right now is super important because I don't know about you, if, if left to my own devices, I'll just sort of get caught up in what every news source is saying, what every podcast is saying, yeah. what every pastor is saying, and that can feel helpful and we want to have good content for the show. But other times it could feel like just an onslaught. You're like, okay, how do I even navigate any of this? You know? Yeah. And in a weird way, I can get caught, like you said, in the media of just reading every story and getting anxious and overwhelmed. And then right. there's the other part of our Facebook feeds and our Twitter feeds where it's like, oh man, that pastor is doing that. I'm not doing enough. Oh, that family's doing that. I'm not doing enough. Every now and right. then I have to get off, just get off my devices and be like, listen, I can pastor my church as best I can through this. I don't, we're all doing this blind. We're all trying to figure out what's best. Uh, I'm going to parent my kids with my wife as best we can through this and figure right. it out. Social media has really been a comparison trap. It often is, but like, I don't know if you feel that way when you see the pastor up the street right now doing like this great, like, three minute fireside chat. And you're oh like, yeah. I got to get on Facebook live right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> my, uh, my, my dear friend and mentor, Warren Anderson actually wrote a really, really great blog post about that today. He's actually going to record some audio for us for later awesome. in the week, but it's exactly about that, about this like carpe diem sees the moment drive that a lot of pastors have that in some ways maybe we're seeing this as a opportunity and he like really challenges that. And I, I just want to share this real quickly too. I posted something today about rhythms, yeah. about habits that I think might be helpful in the midst of all of the noise right now. Yeah, so I posted, just a list. After you posted it, I felt like I had to post right away. I had to post something. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Then it's then it completely failed as a post. <laughs> uh, so here's some things I offer as like a daily habit. Uh, so every day, scripture before phone, write down three gratitudes, one hour, no phone, TV, or computer, Kneeling prayer, I think our posture is really important. Confession and repentance out loud. 
physical activity and then maybe having a, a digital meal with somebody. And then weekly, I suggest um, fast from something for 24 hours, evaluate media intake, one hour conversation with a friend, date night if applicable, one act of kindness mm. and practicing Sabbath. I, I hope at the very least that like spurs some creativity or some idea uh, behind how we can kind of best navigate the coming days and weeks, regardless of what it looks like. I think yeah. to be intentional about, you know, how, what is forming us? Cause everything's forming us, whether we like it or not, we're being formed by our technology and media and to just be cognizant of that and be intentional about what we're taking in, what we're resisting and what we're embracing. I just think is important. You know, I think so too. And I think like you said, having some perspective that like we're all figuring yeah. this out as we go and being mindful that there are people out there who are sick. There are also people out there who are, you know, could be losing their jobs and this and that. And yeah. so to be reminded to be prayerful and to reach out to those people that, you know, yeah. uh, I think is a great call. Yeah, totally agree. Well, coming up next, Brian's mentioned it a couple of times because we're pastors and we're trying to navigate this as best we can as pastors. We want to just share some pastoral thoughts regarding kind of this cultural moment that we're in right now, and not just as a state or a country, but as a world. So coming up next, we're going to share some of those thoughts here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, whose hat is backwards now. That's right. You you could choose like a different apparel choice for each (laughs) one of the segments going forward. That's good. I'll pull up the robe by second hour. <laughs> For those of you who are curious, by the way, we, uh, we are doing the show via Zoom and decided to go video. So if you want to, for some odd reason, <laughs> actually see us while we do this, uh, we're going to make that available. And uh, if you think that's a terrible idea, please also <laughs> please also let us know. Like I liked the show until I actually saw them. And, uh, now I need to boycott. Um, yeah, no, I'm out. So if you could find us, if you want, on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good, and wherever it is you get your podcasts. And I know that a lot of people have more time on their hands than they're used to. Maybe they could use a recommendation for a podcast, yep. something that's hopefully encouraging or challenging in some, in some capacity. We really, really feel the weight and responsibility of the show right now to not just be links and stories and ideas, but to, to in a lot of ways, sort of be pastoral with... Yeah this platform. So if that's been helpful or you think would be helpful to somebody else, uh, feel free to pass that on to them. And uh, as we were mentioning, Brian and I are both pastors. And because this season is so unprecedented, rather than just simply quoting and bringing you what CNN and MSNBC and Fox News is saying, we wanted to, we wanted to really carve out space to wrestle with what the word of God says. Yeah. And I think uh, now is a really critical, important time for us to do exactly that. So Brian Fromm, why don't you first kick us off with uh, just some pastoral thoughts in the midst of all this? Yeah, I wanted to go to the book, uh, to the Psalms, because I think there's so much there for us. Yeah. Uh, this, this is a Psalm of David, uh, Psalm chapter 13. So let me read it for you. And then I want to talk uh, about it just for a minute. Um, David writes, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. There's some 
obviously David's talking about a completely different thing, but there's some of that there right now where you might be thinking, man, where are you, Lord? Like, how long are you going to forget us? What's going on with you? And then verses five and six, David writes this, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good for me, good to me. Uh, That concept of uh, I will trust in your unfailing love. Like I think right now, a lot of us are thinking to ourselves, I don't know where to put my trust. I don't know where to put my hope. I don't know anything that could uh, be, uh, what's the phrase we you, like a firm foundation, something to really hold on to. And David was in the midst of that for a completely different reason. Yeah. But David's going like, where are you, God? And then he gets to the point and he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. Notice he doesn't wait for an answer even. Yeah, he says, right. I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And then one other Psalm, Psalm chapter 73, verse 26, uh, simply says this, my flesh and my heart may fail. A lot of us are afraid of that right mm-hmm. now, right? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion mm-hmm. forever. And I guess what I want people to know out there uh, to be reminded of is that uh, things are good. They're bad. They, they could get worse. They may likely get worse. Uh, we're looking for where's God in this. And then to be reminded, we can trust him. Yeah. Uh, we can put our hope in him. We can sing to him. He's still good. He's still God. And uh, hopefully that serves as an encouragement to you out there today. That's really good, man. I also chose a Psalm. It's almost oh. like, we, like we planned this. It's uh, Psalm 56. And it's a Psalm of David. Now, David uh, has been seized by the Philistine army running from Saul's army. So things are not going great for David in general. And this is part of what I love about the verses you chose and this Psalm as well is that a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this on the show before. That means lament is as much worship as anything else that we do. Like celebration is obviously really key and really important. But so often we feel like lament and crying out to God doesn't have a space in our worship spaces. David most certainly saw lament as yeah. worship. Like the Psalms show us that God would rather we yell at him than walk away from him. Like bring mm-hmm. your fear, bring your sorrow, bring your confusion, your uncertainty. All of that is still worship. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses from uh, chapter 56. And verse three says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's kind of what you were saying. When, yes. when I'm afraid, not if I am afraid, when, like I'm, God knows that you're going to be afraid. And it's not this like stoic, like, Oh, I never struggle. I'm never fearful of anything. David says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And so maybe you're hearing that thinking, okay, great. But how, how, how do I actually put my trust in God? The very next verse I think is key. It says in God, whose word I praise in God, I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? That mm-hmm. idea of his word being praised, like, like David is anchoring himself in God's word. And maybe the message for us today is amidst all the voices and all the noise and all the news and all the posts and all the Facebook live, like make sure that we're anchoring ourselves first yes. and foremost in, in God's word. Cause I think when we miss that, right, instead of, instead of dwelling on all these terrifying moments, what does it look like to, to set our mind on God and God's yeah. word? And then I, I'd never really noticed this first before in verse eight it says, you have kept count of my tossings, put tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Like, I know a lot of people who feel really sleepless right now. Like, they're tossing it, and God sees that. 
Mm-hmm. Like he's fully present and cognizant. He's with us in the mountaintop, but he's also with us in the valley. I think that is such a such a remarkable invitation to know that yeah. God keeps track of those sleepless nights that we're having and those fearful conversations. Like he's there in all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he says, uh, verse nine, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call this. I know that God is for me. That God is for you, whatever you're going through today or whatever you're grappling with or whatever you're unsure of, knowing that, that, that God is for you, that he's with you, that he's God Emmanuel, God who comes close, God who is near, who sets up camp among his people. And I think uh, here in verse 13, honestly, when I read this this morning, it almost brought me to tears. Verse 13, mm-hmm. Psalm 56, it says, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yeah. Like that rescuing nature in God is that when we can do nothing to save ourselves, he comes after us, right? I think of what Jesus says in John chapter 16. It says, in this world, you're going to have trials. You're going to yeah. have tribulations. Yeah. You can take heart. I've overcome the world. He's saying the enemy did its very worst to me, and I was able to exhaust its force entirely. You can take heart. I have overcome the world. And I, I thought about a, a pastor years ago. I heard him say something like, Christians are a little bit like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. Mm. I think we're experiencing some of that right now. Me too. Like we feel like we're getting hit. I feel like we're getting hit hard. But my prayer is that with all of that, whatever's weighing on us, it's it's forcing us to go deeper into God's word, deeper into God's heart, deeper into community with one another and dependence on him. That idea of like finding our strength and our vitality fully and completely and primarily from God. I think that that is such a, a timely invitation, something that personally I don't always do very well and I want to, I want to do better at, you know, that's really good. I love how you're saying like, this is a time to be ground in the scriptures because right. it really is these types of moments drive us back to God's word, to what we know. Right. So coming up next, here's one of the things that uh, we want to try and do going forward is we've preemptively asked some friends of the show just to record some audio thoughts about how they're doing, how their family's doing, how they're navigating these times. And so we're going to hear from uh, my friend, Kaya Calhoun. She's going to share a little bit about their family rhythms. And then uh, Brian and I are going to respond. That's coming up next year on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good plus wherever it is you get podcasts with this new reality that we're all in. If you think this show would in any way be encouraging to someone else, uh, let us know if there's a particular segment that you want to hear, you want edited, you can email us or you can write us on the Facebook page and uh, we'd be happy to get that in your hands. Our goal and hope uh, always, but especially given these new circumstances is to serve you all well. Uh, It's not just simply for Brian and I to share our thoughts or to pontificate on ideas, but really to serve you. And uh, so if there's anything that we can be doing to better serve you or to better minister to you um, as pastors, as radio hosts, uh, please let us know. And one of the things that I've been really amazed by is just seeing, you know, the way the church has innovated in the last 10 days and the way that people are choosing to, you know, spend their time or use their voice to really care for other people. And so in light of that, um, we wanted to actually give space for some other voices just to hear from some other people because uh, who wants to hear just the two of us constantly? That's, that's a lot for anybody, right? That's, we don't even want to just hear this. Right, I love this. <laughs> right exactly. I love, so, this, I love this idea, and uh, yeah. you, you had it the other day, and it was 
just this idea that in really trying times like this to hear other voices, I think will be really good and just really helpful for us and for other people to go, how are more than just Brian and Ian processing this? And to right. hear that across people that we know and we trust, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, our first audio clip here is from my dear friend, Kaya Calhoun. And she's going to share with you a little bit about uh, her life and how they're navigating this. So uh, here is how Kaya is existing in these new strange times that we find ourselves in. Hey everyone, my name is Kaya Calhoun. I'm a weddings, portraits, and freelance photographer serving the Wisconsin, Illinois state line area. I live in Wisconsin with my husband and three kids, and we have our fourth on the way. At first, the restrictions accompanying the coronavirus bummed me out hard. I have a five, three, and one-year-old, and I'm 10 weeks pregnant with our fourth, so I had visions of the kids fighting day in and day out while I fought off pregnant nausea and extreme fits of tiredness. For all these weeks of social distancing, except I don't hate it at all. I love it. My husband is required to work from home, so I have him all day. Yay. My kids are doing great, what with our less stressful days of the quiet life, doing just family all day long, and I'm really falling in love with cooking for the first time. I've ditched the extra time I'd run an errand or honestly do some unnecessary busy task out and about and traded it for that little bit of extra time in the kitchen making real food for my family. It brings my heart joy eating healthy, hearty food that makes our house smell like home. I love that this virus is forcing capitalism out of its throne for this season. And I love that this virus is forcing families to be together and pray that all these families see what an amazing opportunity it is to be forced to be slow together. However, I realize this is easier for me to say than some because out of the four jobs my husband and I hold down between the two of us, we have one of them still providing for our family. And if we didn't, we have some savings we could tap into. I also am not adjusting to life with my kids here like so many others as we homeschool. So in our camp, it's still life as usual. We also don't have to worry about water with our Berkey, toilet paper with cloth wipes about the house ready to pose as backup if needed, cloth diapers for the baby, and homemade hand sanitizer with delicious essential oils that kick germs butt. We stashed up on a month's worth of groceries and I have ideas like fishing and accelerating our little garden patch to get us by if the stores are dwindling. Even still, history proves that in moments of crisis, the government has stepped in to provide, whether it's with rations or other creative versions of a leg up. And most of all, I have all the hope in the world and no worries because I love a father in heaven who adores me and has always taken care of me. I, for one, am embracing this forced staycation, and me and mine are loving all the time together playing board games, baking treats, going for long walks, and reading lots of books. Okay, so that's one perspective on uh, one family and how they're navigating this weird season. How uh, how did that all hit you? You know, that was interesting. I found it uh, encouraging. You hear a lot of people who are um, uh, homeschooling kind of like, well, now you kind of see how our life is. Right. Uh, but also, uh, she took a very positive spin. And uh, my guess, I don't know her, you do. My guess is that that's kind of her nature, her, yeah. her kind of outlook on life. Um, but she very much saw this as increased family time, right? Uh, increased time with her husband. Uh, there might be some people out there who uh, don't appreciate her posture. But my point is, I think for a lot of us, how we normally see things, 
probably comes out in times like this. And so for her to be like, like if it were me and my wife was pregnant, I would be super nervous right now. Um, But she's like, you know, it's good to be all together as a family. And she acknowledged how hard it is right now. Yeah. Um, But, but it was interesting to hear somebody go relatively like, dare I say, I'm kind of enjoying what it is for our family right now. Now, if her Mm. husband were to get sick or something, family member, obviously that would change. But right Right. now, uh, I appreciated the honesty to be able to go. I'm kind of enjoying the break right now. Uh, Yeah. And I think in particular right now with how much seems to be either negative or incredibly fearful. And I'm not saying either of those postures is wrong, but it feels like that's the predominant narrative right now. Uh, and again, I'm biased because I just really love the Calhouns. Also, it's like, I'm also hearing from like a friend and I'm glad to know that they're, they're doing so well. That's like right, that, right. I can't divorce that part from my uh, response, but I don't know. That's, that's part of what I found so refreshing because it's like, oh gosh, there, there is so much negativity and fear. And even just to hear someone else's perspective, even if that doesn't transform your own, I think is helpful and almost therapeutic. Like, okay. Like I, uh, that gives me a new perspective. And like you said, not everyone maybe will necessarily agree, but at the very least, I hope it gives pause in the midst, you know, when you only hear like one particular perspective over and over and over again, you are able to kind of step out of that stream for a second and just listen to something different. Yeah. You don't have to necessarily rubber stamp it with a, a, you know, an entire endorsement, but to say, okay, that's another way of looking at all this that I hadn't yet thought of. I think, I think I can appreciate that. I can too. And, and like I told you a segment or two ago, uh, I tend towards anxiety and taking in all the different news sources and this and that. And so to, she was a great reminder of like, Hey, you know, if bad things come, don't sugarcoat them, but right. you know, right now, uh, take the break to build into your family, like control what you can control. Right. And, uh, I appreciated that. You know, I think, uh, that was a very honest as to where her and her husband and kids are at at this moment. And I think uh, a lot of us could probably uh, benefit from taking in some of that perspective as well. Well, and that is something that we want to continue kind of bringing throughout the weeks ahead because uh, we know that Ryan and I are just two very small perspectives and a much bigger conversation. Right. So uh, hopefully we'll be bringing some other audio clips and even later in the show, just from other people and how they're dealing with it, how they're, grappling with the news, things that they've found to be helpful, questions they're raising. Uh, At the very least, we want to kind of expand the conversation a little bit with regards to uh, what we're all experiencing together. And that is sort of the common piece right now. You think about the common good, the thing we share in common, this very weird unifying element is something that we are at a global level all dealing with. And so we want to provide some tools and resources, or at the very least, perspectives that are uh, different than our own. Uh, coming up next, uh, I found an article that's talking about social distancing and the poor, and three different doctors are saying um, that's just not possible. So we're going to talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good and wherever it is you get your podcast, if you are a podcaster, if you wouldn't mind uh, subscribing, rating, reviewing, all of that does somehow magically help us. And we know that a lot of people right now are asking for podcast recommendations. If, uh, if you'd be so inclined, sending it to a friend or sharing about it online or even just reviewing our Facebook page, all of that stuff does really help us out. And uh, just to say it again, Brian and I feel completely 
and utterly honored and humbled to have this platform during a time like this right now anyway. We don't take any of this lightly, and so we want this to serve you well. So if there's ever anything that we can do to improve the show or ways that it would serve you better or resources you're looking for, uh, please send us a message on the Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show, and uh, someone from our team will get back to you ASAP. Uh, I mentioned it a little earlier. Here's the article. Um, the headline says, Social Distancing for the Poor is Near Impossible, Right Three Doctors. You want to tell them what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, this is uh, kind of a global look. I've, I've got to uh, confess uh, that very few of my articles that I've re- read are really focused at all outside of the United States, right? Mm. Like everything I've been reading. And so I even had to ask you because you, you sent this article and you were, I said, now we're talking global poor here, right? And you said, yeah. And, and so there are these three doctors talking about how for the poor and the marginalized, social distancing is not a possibility mm. given the space in their residences and the matter of their safety. Uh, and so these three doctors who quite frankly have the three longest names I've ever seen in print in my life. So I'm not going to try to say them. Uh, They begin this way. uh, And this is from March 17th. Uh, Today, the rural clinic was very busy between the three of us who were in the clinic. We saw more than a hundred patients, some of them with very complex problems. One of the patients we saw today was a 50 year old lady, Kamala. Her name has been changed for confidentiality purposes with a fever, cough and breathlessness for a week. Even as you're reading this, we know the word that is ringing in your mind, COVID-19. The lady belongs to a very poor family, as do most of our patients. She has no history of travel anywhere beyond her nearest town, nor did she have a history of contact with anyone diagnosed with COVID-19. So we started treatment, as we would in a typical community-acquired lung infection, to anyways be on the safer side in case community transmission of the virus had started without us noticing. We advised her and her daughter on home isolation. The daughter's reaction surprised all three of us in the clinic. Doctor, what you're saying is not practical. Our house is a little hut, and all four of us live in the same room. We have enough room just to lie down and sleep. Keeping a one-meter distance is impossible. Mm. Three of us are women, and it's not safe for women to sleep outside the house. There is also the threat of scorpions and snakes outside. And so I'll stop there. Uh, I would never have thought of this. Just when we talk about social distancing and... Uh, I even made the joke earlier that my house is starting to feel really small with my right. kid and my right. wife all in it. When in reality, and I've gone overseas, uh, I remember spending some time in Rwanda and just being amazed by how many people would get into how small of a structure. Right. Uh, and now you think of the call to social distance, um, minus clean water or minus even electricity. Right. I read an article earlier this week where it talked about, um, in some third world nations, uh, washing your hands and hygiene, uh, whereas we kind of take it all for granted, right? Like wash your hands more. Uh, they don't have the clean water to necessarily wash their hands. Right. And so, uh, yeah, this is an eye opener, especially as, um, as COVID-19 continues to spread worldwide. Uh, what's, uh, how different places are really going to have to get past different hurdles yeah. uh, in order to deal with it. Well, and exactly what you just said is why I wanted to talk about it because you, you know, you had said, I, I would never have even thought about this, which is understandable. It's not your context. It's not your worldview. It's not your situation. Um, but that is one of the things I think is really important about what we do with the show is to remember that this is a global crisis right. and some of the stuff 
you know, I thought even early on when a lot of the reports are coming through where it's like, hey, don't worry, this will only affect the elderly. Yes, yes. What are the elderly thinking when they hear that yeah. over their radio stations and TV broadcasts? Like that to me is, hey, we're in our 30s, so we're fine. Like there is such a, I don't want to fall into the same thing when it comes to uh, global perspective because obviously this is a, a complex issue. But this article, and it's worth the read because it's talking about like the uh, the social shutdown in Chennai in 2015 and some of the effects of how that harmed people and people not ha- having access to uh, hospitals or, you know, any kind of like medical supplies. There there are realities here. And we're seeing a good deal of that here in Chicagoland right now. I'm not saying that things are, you know, honky-dory here. Um, but there is something, at least for me, about stepping into the shoes, if only for a moment, of what really is the vast majority of the planet and realizing, wow, my world is not the world and there's so much more that's happening that I wouldn't know how to navigate this. Like this, I I bring this up without any real idea of a conclusion other than like, gosh, we, we need to be praying at a global level, not just for our own backyard, you know? And they go on to make the point that in, in a lot of these third world societies, these cultures, uh, he, the doctor writes this, we realized that for the poor, the more they were close to others, the better their chances of navigating their complex lives. Hmm. Uh, and so therefore, there's a lot more at stake to say you can't be around other people. You've got to uh, isolate yourself. Uh, and you do bring up some good points within our own country, right, about like people kind of going, well, you know, oh, it's just the elderly or it's right. just this and it's just this. And what we're seeing is, uh, A, that should never be our attitude. Right. But B, uh, no, it's not so cut and dry like that anyway. And so we've got to have concerns about how do we stop it spreading, not just in our towns or in our cities or in our state even, but worldwide. And, right. and this is going to add just complexity to that. Well, and I don't know if this is an appropriate response or posture, but at the very least, while I think our first step needs to be prayer, always prayer, yep. but also maybe in some ways, maybe sort of akin to what Kaya had shared with us, like just taking honest stock of some of the blessings we do have that maybe we're taking for granted, right? The the very fact that you or I could drive four minutes up the road and we can still get bread and milk and eggs in our heated cars, in our, I mean, like I have a house with a basement. I, you know what I mean? There's just things about my existence that if I'm not careful, I could easily start to complain that my situation isn't better or that um, I don't have as much as, you know, maybe the next guy, but to, to read stories like this and realize, I mean, this pandemic has a, a social and physical effect that is a much different experience than what, you know, either of us are going to experience in this. Absolutely. And so uh, like you said, still being thankful uh, for what we do have and yeah. uh, uh, giving it perspective. I think one thing we've tried to do well on the show is to give each other perspective worldwide. And that's why we've had you talk about when you spent so much time in India and other yeah. places uh, to give a global perspective. And uh, there are things that, that are inconveniencing for us right now that other parts of the world, it's not even an option. And I think right. this article is to open that door. And so hopefully that spurs you to do what's inconvenient uh, but also to think more globally and allow that to inform my prayer life, but also even how I live here. And if you are in any way inclined or capable to actually maybe put dollars and resources and time towards helping those who have 
a much different situation ahead of them than a lot of us do. I think that that is a really important thing, at least for me to kind of keep at the forefront when I'm inclined to sort of focus inward and look at my own situation. I think also at least giving space for a global perspective is really, really important. Absolutely. Well, coming up next hour, we have a whole lot that we want to talk about, mostly involving uh, the coronavirus, in particular, uh, a segment where Ed Stetzer shares some of his thoughts. And a pastor friend who's been on the show, Mandy Smith, is going to share a little bit of her homily that uh, I think that you'll find very encouraging. That's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkin here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities? And Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, we're going to hear from Mandy Smith, Ed Stetzer, and we're going to talk about how do you love your neighbor in the middle of a pandemic? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. You can rate the page there. You can send us messages. You can see all of our articles uh, we're also at 1160hope.com slash the common good and wherever it is you get your podcast. If you're finding yourself with a lot more free time or you know someone who has, uh, please feel free to send them our podcast. And if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating and reviewing, all of that does somehow really actually help us out. And uh, we're really, really grateful for that. Brian and I uh, recognize that we're in the, the middle of a cultural moment right now. And we're really, really humbled and honored to uh, have this show, to have this opportunity, but to also have all of you kind of as a part of this common good family. So uh, we would love to hear from you how we can improve, uh, ways we can better serve you, care for you, or honestly even pray with and for you. So you can do all of that on the Facebook page. And uh, we would love to be a part of whatever this journey looks like for you right now. Uh, That's kind of some of our heartbeat behind this show in particular. And uh, it's not news to anybody. It's actually really something of a phenomenon that we're all facing this moment specifically together. And one of the questions that as a pastor, uh, I imagine you hear a lot, Brian, I've been hearing a good deal. Like, how do we love people well in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst right. of a quarantine, in the midst of like all of the books and resources about loving your neighbor kind of are out the window right now because they, they don't work. Are you finding some of that tension of like, how am I, how do I still live on mission for Jesus in the midst of all these restrictions? hundred percent, because uh, it's hard to think about how do I love my neighbor without, while not being able to be in physical contact with my neighbor. Right, uh, right. With, with uh, you know, either whether it be the elderly person or just my physical neighbor or whoever else. And so I think we need to think in some creative terms. How can we do that? Uh, what does it look like to love our neighbor? For sure. I'm sure you're wrestling with that as well. 
Yeah. And, and I've been really impressed by how many people have been sort of thinking that through in particular, you know, a lot of uh, churches have now moved to some kind of digital expression, which is remarkable. And I think we need to keep thinking those things through, but I think how we love our neighbors and love our neighborhood and our communities goes way beyond simply how do we get our Sunday experiences online? I think that's important and necessary. And it's been really, really uh, remarkable seeing the church pivot in that regard. Um, but what I don't want us to lose or miss is there are still opportunities for us, the body of Christ, global big seed church, uh, to love, to love our neighbors, to love our, to, I mean, to carry out the great commission and the great commandment. So, uh, why don't you kick us off? It's a list of nine, nine ways right. to love our neighbors in the midst of a pandemic. Yep. So this is out of the gospel coalition. Uh, the number one, one is really interesting. Glorify God by obeying authorities. Hmm. One of the primary ways regular people can help curb the spread of a virus is to, com- is to comply with recommendations. Hmm. Remember, we do this not in fear and self-preservation, but as an act of love to the vulnerable whom this sickness might kill. Much of this compliance can become worship-filled acts. Wash your hands and say a 20-second prayer for your neighbors while you do so. Bump elbows instead of hugging. Of course, you know you're supposed to do these things, but you may not have realized that these ordinary acts of self-restraint are incredible acts of neighborly love and should be acknowledged as courageous and spiritually significant. So over the next Mm -hmm. few months, our lives will be filled with the inconvenience of canceling cherished events. But it so happens that self-sacrificial love is always inconvenient. That's an interesting, I didn't expect that to be number one. I think that's really good. Number two, organize errands for the elderly and the immunocompromised. This virus appears to discriminate. Children, praise God, aren't being affected nearly as much as the elderly. Further healthy people will most likely be fine, while the immunocompromised or those with chronic health conditions are at a greater risk. If you, like me, are low risk, then work with your church or community to organize ways to keep at-risk people safely quarantined and to bring them anything they need. I mentioned this actually last week, too. One of the ideas was to... Um, purchase items for your Instacart shopper that maybe they I need. Telling my they, wife about this, yes. That I, I think that's one way to really um, strategize a unique opportunity to love others. It goes on. It says the church is well practiced at bringing meals to new parents and grieving relatives. Now is our time to use these systems to benefit the vulnerable. I'm a millennial. This author writes, and this is an incredible moment for our generation to serve. Singles and couples without kids are especially well poised to serve here. Number three, admit there's a crisis, but don't panic. Hmm. The best leaders don't lie or hide reality, but they also don't panic. They tell the truth and they lead courageously. One of the unique things that living in a non-authoritarian country is that local leaders can have incredible influence at times such as these. Pastors, business, and community leaders should understand that. Like it or not, they're suddenly in an incredibly significant role. Hmm. We can also do this as a collective voice in our homes, in our schools, and social media. The church can help lead the public by not downplaying a pandemic that will certainly kill thousands and thousands of more people, but also by stewarding conversation toward outward acts of service, not inward acts of self-protection. I like that idea of stewarding conversation. That's really Really interesting. Uh, Number four, share good information, ignore bad. This isn't the time when we need lots of armchair epidemiologists voicing opinions on stats. This is a time when we need to give uh, deference to experts and importantly, not cloud the air with misinformation and quotes Proverbs 15 two, love your neighbors by sharing important information. Don't harm them by being unwise about what you share. It's helpful to share and footnote reliable information. It's harmful to circulate heresy. Ephesians four twenty nine. before you share something on social media, love your neighbor by taking a few minutes 
to at least read the whole article and better yet, do your best to verify it's coming from a reputable source. I mean, that That's is really always, that really is always important, but how much now I was telling you before, like I get whiplash reading different articles. Just yes. Crazy. Right. No kidding. Number five, serve healthcare workers hmm. in a pandemic. We should think of healthcare workers as we did first responders during nine 11. They're the ones risking life and limb to protect others. We should be praying for them, supporting them, bringing meals to them, offering them childcare and supporting in any ways possible. They're voluntarily walking into burning buildings to do things we cannot do. So let's help them with the things we can do. Wow. This is a really good article, man. Number six, spend money as an act of economic love. One of the huge effects of pandemics is fiscal shutdown. The young coffee shop owner probably won't get sick, but her business might die if people stop ordering. We must obey authorities, but within those boundaries, we must see our spending as an act of charity, of which the root word is caritas, that is love. America runs on small businesses. This isn't a political slogan. It's a plain reality. Flourishing local economies are real threads of shalom. Shalom is sort of peace or wholeness. It should be easy to let fear stop you from, it would be easy to let fear stop you from participating, but this is actually an opportunity to spend more money than you otherwise would at local establishments so long as you stay within the bounds of authorities' recommendations. If you can't go to local establishments, buy gift cards from them online to use later. That one's really good. Consider getting takeout from local places when you'd normally go out to eat rather than hoarding groceries. Spend money intentionally as a way of loving others through working to help sustain the economy. I think that's so important. I've seen a lot of the hashtag adopt a restaurant floating around. I think that's oh, great. Oh, that right. I know we've, we've t- ordered takeout just the other day. We went, we were like, we don't need a full meal, but let's just get a bunch of uh, appetizers from one yes. of the local restaurants that totally n- needed at this time. Number seven, feed and watch other people's kids while schools are closed. Uh, one of the most difficult things about schools closing is the brunt will fall most heavily on the vulnerable. Many Mm -hmm. children rely on school meals to eat. Many parents can't work if their kids aren't at school. Mm -hmm. Those of us with white collar jobs can do at home. We'll make it work. We'll work remotely, take turns watching kids with spouses and catch up once kids are in bed. Many can't work remotely or leave their kids alone at work. And that's a good one. Although I think things have changed now in our, in our, uh, everyone's at home now, but this is also a good one even just to be checking in on the people who might be more vulnerable. Well, and we were talking about number eight a little bit uh, in the first hour. It says, renew your household with spiritual rhythms. Your household is at an incredible moment. Suddenly, what, uh, what has always been true is plainly evident. We live in a dangerous world, and your house stands as a missional outpost of love amid danger. In a time of voluntary or enforced quarantine, all normal household rhythms have been disrupted, which means this is an incredible opportunity to form new rhythms that guide you toward God's power in a time of human powerlessness. Take this as an opportunity to reframe how your household spends its time and practice habits that guide you toward courage in a cultural moment of fear. Cultivate rhythms that guide you to concentration and presence in a blitz of information and alerts. Above all, cling to spiritual disciplines that guide you toward a household gathered in love rather than scattered in fear. I'm going to stop with that one because I think this last one also probably doesn't necessarily apply uh, in our current state. Um, but I, I think that that idea of family rhythms, of household rhythms, yeah of not being just passive recipients to what it currently looks like, but being really intentional and going after it, I think is massively important right now. Absolutely. I think just being creative using, using digital, I think all is so important right now. Well, coming up next, a pastor out of Cincinnati named Mandy Smith shared a homily with us 
kind of about what we're all experiencing. And I found some of her words just to be so life-giving. We're going to share that and talk about it a little bit next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, and there you can both rate and review the page, but also you can send us messages directly if you have ideas for a segment or a topic or an article. You can also find our podcast wherever it is you get podcasts. If you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, all of that, especially right now, it does really help us out. And maybe sharing it with a friend. We know people are looking to try new podcasts and maybe this would be a source of encouragement or help or love or light in some way, in some capacity. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about a homily that my friend Mandy gave via YouTube, via her phone uh, a couple weekends ago. And uh, I think some of her words are so life-giving. Before I do that, though, I want to mention Thriving Financial real quick. Uh, if you're looking for a career change right now, and I know a lot of people probably are, Thriving might be the perfect opportunity for you. It's a Fortune 500 non-for-profit. They've been serving people for over a century. And you can go to thrivent.com slash careers to learn more. Or you can just call them at 630-598-2128 just to see if maybe that wouldn't be a good fit. I've been a Thrivent member for a long time. I not only love what they do, but how they do it. And uh, I highly encourage you to give them a chance. So um, I'm just going to get into it. I'm going to play the clip. It's uh, about six minutes. uh, So it's not the entire homily, but it's part of what she had shared with her church. And uh, I would love to know, Brian, when we get out of that, what some of your thoughts were, how that hit you in particular as a pastor, as someone who's trying to navigate this with everybody. And uh, we'll just sort of respond. So here is Mandy Smith from a couple weekends ago. Hello, fellow humans. I hope you're all doing well and keeping safe and cozy in your houses. I personally had to get out of my house. And so the sermon is going to come to you today from my backyard. Um, So obviously, this is a very strange situation that we're all in. And we're also in the season of Lent, which is in some ways fitting for the other things that we're handling in our own lives and in the world around us with this coronavirus outbreak. And so uh, in some ways, it actually connects with, with what we're talking about anyway in Scripture as we prepare for Easter, which still is going to happen, I think, regardless of whether we are together in the church building or not. And so this week I was actually reading a really interesting study by Richard Raw. who did a study on different cultures and the initiation rites that they have for young adults, usually young men. And these different cultures all have different initiation rites, but there are some certain lessons that they want their young adults to be learning, that there are common themes in all these initiation rites that anthropologists have discovered. And he sums them up with four points. One of them is life is hard, And then your life is not about you, you are not in control, and you are going to die. So, of course, these are not fun things to think about. Let me read them again and see how you feel about them. Life is hard, your life is not about you, you are not in control, and you are going to die. So these are things we actually spend a lot of time and energy not thinking about. We try very hard either to make sure those things don't happen or to make sure we don't have to think about the possibility that they are going to happen. But I think that we are in a situation right now where we have to confront some of these realities. And Lent is actually a season where it also invites us to confront those realities. And although in a contemporary culture where we have a lot of conveniences, it's easy for us to think Lent is kind of 
of a downer because it's making us think about the fact that we are from dust and dust to we will and to dust we will return. Um, that seems like a downer in a fairly comfortable, easy Western life, um, but it's actually confronting the reality of all of life that at some point we're going to have to deal with, and we just like to delay it. And so. Um, Sometimes Christianity can seem like a bit of a downer religion or faith um, because we we do confront suffering all the time. But the hope comes when life actually takes us there. And uh, most of the original followers of Jesus were already in that place. And so it was good news to them. We often have to begin with what feels like bad news because we have to say things like, life is hard, your life is not about you, you are not in control, and you're going to die. And this was also reminding me of the verse, uh, the passage from um, Matthew that I was thinking of preaching on this week anyway, and I decided to stick with it. And uh, it's the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right right before he's arrested. He's actually arrested at the very end of this scene. So things are kind of ramping up for him, and he's felt it for some time already with people rejecting him, with people um, not understanding him and now he's in this place. They've just had the Last Supper, and uh, he's already kind of foretold what's about to happen. And now he goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, I have, uh, let me see if I can flip the video here. Oh, I don't think I can flip the video mid-video, but I have a tree here holding my notes, and I was going to let you read along with me, but I'm just going to do it myself. Um, so Matthew 26, um, here, I'll show you. There you go. That's my trusty um, music stand. Matthew 26, 36 to 46 says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And then he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. And then he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and stay with me. Uh, it's troubling to imagine our friend Jesus was at such a point of crisis. And how would we feel to be with one of our other friends? If right now today, one of our friends said to us, I'm deeply grieved even to death, stay with me. What would be our response? And then Jesus going a little farther threw himself on the ground and prayed. This is not a performance. This is something that he is experiencing very deeply. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It's quite a grim scene, and um, it breaks my heart to think that Jesus' friends weren't able to stay awake with him at this time of such trial and such torment. 
and um, I can imagine that maybe if I'd been there I might have done the same but it's good for us to remember that Jesus was a real human being and that he also did not want to die that he didn't love these realities too that life is hard life is not about you you're not in control and you are going to die and I think if he was flippant about those things we couldn't really relate to him we couldn't feel solidarity with him in his own suffering as he has felt solidarity with us in our suffering. All right, Brian. So uh, what did you think about what she had to say? I just remember having her on the show and how impressive she's been on at least once, maybe more than once, how impressive she was. And I just appreciated that part of her sermon where she was talking about, you know, Jesus being in the garden. And and it's all just all of us wrestling with uh, these feelings of, you know, grief and uh, all the feelings we're all feeling right Right. now. And I really appreciated Mandy's words. How about you? I'm curious what you thought of this. So she had uh, referenced Richard Rohr and the four things, the four common themes that he found in sort of analyzing um, initiation rights around the world. Life is hard. Your life is not about you. Mm. You're not in control and you're going to die. What what, what did you think of those four specifically? Because she mentioned it a couple of times. I thought thought it was very pastorally wise. She's like, I know that we don't want to talk about these things. It is even uncomfortable to hear me say those, especially that last one. But uh, I'm, I'm just curious what you found interesting, if anything, about those four being kind of this common thread yep. globally when it comes to uh, initiation rights. Yeah, I, I, I think about how we work in our culture, and those are things that we all believe theoretically, but yeah. they feel really real right now. Yeah, right. They're one of these truths. Of course, we all believe those things, but how many of us have spent actually time sitting in them thinking about it? I might acknowledge I'm not in control, but usually I feel like I'm in control. Well, right now I don't feel like I'm in control. Like right. people are determining what I can and can't do. Right. Right. I, I do. I, I think uh, what is, what has always been kind of theoretical for us and, and stuff in our minds is having to be lived out right now. Yeah. And I, at the very least, I'm so grateful for Mandy and her voice. And she writes a lot over at Missy Alliance and we'll link um, both to this homily and her church's website, because uh, as we kind of gather more and more of these audio clips, I'm just encouraged at like the really important, often very difficult pastoral work that's taking place right now. Yeah. That is far more than just simply, oh shoot, how do we stream our services? Which again, we need to do, but like thinking through how do I pastor and shepherd my people well in the midst of a pandemic, a pandemic that like you were saying earlier in the show, not everyone feels the same about. Some are completely freaked out. Some don't feel like it's affected them at all. Some people feel very alone. They don't have families near that. You know what I mean? Like to pastor all that diversity can be really difficult. I think Mandy is one of the people that is just doing a remarkable job of having the courageous conversations rooted in the gospel, rooted in the presence of God, but saying sometimes the difficult things, um, but the difficult things that need to be said, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, Ed Stetzer went live earlier today, and uh, he said a number of things that were very interesting, some of them concerning. At the very least, though, he had a lot of really, I think, helpful information about how do we navigate these coming days and weeks together as a people, and uh, I want you to hear a little bit of what he says. That's all coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, and that's where we post all of our articles. If you catch the middle of a segment or you want to know more, that's where all of it's posted. 
Uh, you can also send us messages directly if you have ideas or thoughts about a story or an angle or an interview. Uh, we would love to hear from you there. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash the common good and wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you are a podcaster, thank you so much for listening. If you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating and reviewing, and then maybe share it with somebody. I know a lot of people are looking for podcast suggestions right now and uh, any help, any exposure, anything that you could do to help us uh, kind of get the word out would be really, really appreciated. Um, I imagine a lot of people listening will know Ed Stetzer. How would you introduce Ed Stetzer? <laughs> Stetzer is like, a, he's a little bit of the godfather of church planting back in the day. <laughs> he's got his hands in a, and I don't mean this in a bad way, in so many things in evangelicalism, being yeah. in Moody Church or at High Point, but then also being uh, high up at Wheaton College. Yeah. And he's written ex, uh, prolifically. And so to see him out in front about what should the church's response be to the coronavirus is not a surprise. And, and that's a good introduction because it's not just some guy. This is a guy who is perceived by a, a lot of people that I respect as a respected source, um, a, a level head. He's not in any way a sensationalist or right. conspiracy theorist or any of that. Uh, he went live on Facebook today, and it's much longer. It's about 22 minutes or something. But I wanted to play just a few minutes of that Facebook live session because uh, I think I think there's a lot of really important things that he says there that we need to consider. So here's about six minutes from Ed Stetzer, and then uh, Brian Fromm and I will react. Okay, so this right here, this is where we are right now. I, I think we need to realize that we're about to enter into a crisis that the healthcare workers in our church are going to experience. We're about to enter into a crisis that, uh, that people are going to get sick, uh, poor people are going to be marginalized, and more. And I think right now we have, and I'm not mad at anybody, I think we have done what we felt we needed to do, which was to get online and communicate with our people. And you need to do that. You need to do more of that. And you need to connect to people and more. But um, I, I want you to hear that there's a few things going on. First, there is still misinformation, a lot of times coming from evangelicals. I see it. I tweeted last night that very phrase that somebody next week you know is going to probably be diagnosed and somebody next month, you know, is probably going to die. Um, it doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean everybody, but, but, and someone says, Oh, these numbers, there's only one out of a million. And, 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 and you click on the link and they're listening to the same irresponsible news sources that a few weeks ago caused some of my relatives to think, Oh, it's fine. It's no big deal. We're visiting. We're going to this place and that place looking for Lysol. We're visiting all the stores and they're in their seventies. And I want you to know that, I recognize that somehow we have just allowed things to just be communicated on here. Christians, you need to speak to one another and stop this. Okay, so where we're headed, you know, I, many of you um, are right now moving to that online transition. But a couple of weeks ago, I met with the Surgeon General. We were actually meeting with about HIV AIDS and the topic turned to coronavirus. Uh, and he said, we're going to need the church. And right now we need the church to be a part of this. And I, I've laid out what I think are some coming phases of the coronavirus crisis. And I need you to kind of think through with me what you're going to do. And you need to get out of phase one. You need to get out of phase one. Phase one, right, is real clear, real simply. It's pause and pivot. Matter of fact, I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll put this over here. I'm using Facebook Live. It's not always the greatest thing for, uh, and I'm doing it from my basement. I've got to learn more how to do this in a way that, I can pull up these slides and go from there. But right now we're in phase one, right? Pause and pivot. And that's what you're doing. And I get it. And I'm thankful. But you can't stay there. We can't, we can't say we've got to move forward 
into the subsequent phases that we're going to lead well through this crisis, right? I'm going to put this whole, this whole, I'll share this whole thing with you. If you go to the Christianity Today article that I'll link here, and if one of my staff's listening, just put that Christianity Today article I just published. We've got to prepare and plan. Okay, you can't see it, but you'll be able to download it. Communication, corporate worship, giving, great, but small giving. This is the things are changing. What needs to change? How does it change? Who needs to lead the change, right? We've got to do and know those things. That's Great. That's important. But that's still not the crisis. That's preparing for the crisis, right? I've listed some best practices. I've listed some pastoral care practices. Josh Laxton and I put this together. I've listed things you need to do. Good neighbor, how to be a good neighbor. I'll put all this online. But right, we've got to get there. But here's the thing. We've got to get to phase two now, not a week from now. Because this week, the Surgeon General says it's going to get bad. And in three weeks, we're tracking right behind Italy. And we're talking a lot of people dying and afraid isolated from one another, the poor, the marginalized, the homeless, those struggling with mental illness, and our churches need to get ready. And I don't think we're ready yet. So phase two, prepare and plan so we can get to phase three, right? I'm going to put this all at that Christian Today article. Phase three, engagement. We need to engage and execute our plans. Right now, this week, you need to be asking, what are we going to do if we start to hear of People dying in our community. People get more afraid. How are we going to deal with food insecurity? How are we going to deal with people who, who and you can do this right now. You can start right now. We're right now. I've talked to my family. We're, we're going to use one of our cars for this. We're going to start, um, sharing some food, taking some food, delivering some food. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, go to coronavirusandthechurch.com, coronavirusandthechurch.com. And there's a podcast there called, um, Right now it's in season one is leading in the coronavirus crisis. And I've asked pastors and leaders what they're doing. Matthew Barnett. When he talks about what they're doing at the um, at the Dream Center in L.A., super important. I talked to Pastor Wilfredo de Jesus Choco about how to mobilize the church. We need you to be mobilizing the church right now. Not Now, again, this is really key because on Sunday I wanted to say we've been pausing. And right now everybody's focusing. Are we going to be online? It's great you're online. If you're not online, get online. But that's not the crisis you can't meet in large groups. That's not the crisis. Even your giving right now, that's not the crisis, right? But there, that's all going to be real to us, but it's not the crisis that will be the, the defining crisis of our lifetime. I'm not an alarmist. Three weeks ago, people were saying this is, well, a certain slice of society was saying this is no big deal. Everybody thinks this is a big deal. You need to listen to the congressman, Mark Walker, I talked to on the podcast. And he said, this will be the biggest disruption in our lifetime since, since World War II, he said. So, and, and so I don't want you to miss those things, right? So phase three has got to be ready. That's two weeks away. It's, it's actually in some ways already in place in Seattle and in the Northwest, but it's not gotten as bad as it's going to be. We're going to do a, a webcast with Christ uh, together a little later this week. And we're talking to people in Italy and Spain, right? They're in the midst of the crisis that is coming our way. And I think we've got to stop focusing on internal delivery systems. Get those done tomorrow. And we got to start focusing on external mission. In John chapter 20, well, let me let me get to part four here because I want you not to miss this too, right? And I've got all this information. We'll share this with you. Phase four is recover and reemerge. We will recover. The Spanish flu was worse than this, and churches recovered. Our society recovered. And right now, the things that you do today will impact how ultimately you will recover tomorrow. So I really want to encourage you to take this as seriously as you should. Okay, so that was 
a lot, Brian. It was. What, what did you think hearing that? Uh, so I love what Stetzer says about the church, about moving from pivoting to planning and execution. Uh, I got to be honest, when I first listened to this, it kind of scared me. Really? Kind of what you and I talked about earlier. Like uh, some things I read, people are very optimistic. Stetzer uh, didn't sound alarmist in the sense of like, out there, but, but it was alarming yeah. uh, of, you know, when he said uh, in a week, everyone's going to know somebody who's sick in a month, you're going to know somebody who's died. You're just kind of like, Oh my gosh, like right. that very well might be our reality, but to hear it was alarming, but he does great work with the church there. And he's clearly God has put a passion in him to see yeah. the church do this, uh, this season well. And I think he, his mind is one that we can really tap into as pastors and as churches. Well, and the headline of the article, the corresponding Christianity Today article is, Dear Church Leaders, this is not the crisis. It is time to get prepared for the crisis that is only weeks away. So I would encourage you to actually take some time, watch all 22 minutes of the live stream, yep. then read the article from Christianity Today. Uh, and we would really love to know what you think. Is is he being too aggressive or does he feel alarmist to you? Or is this what you've been saying all along? E- either way, like you were saying, he is uh, an intellectual. He's very thoughtful. And he does really great work, I think, in ecumenical work and helping build bridges with churches. So I know his heart is unity and health and the thriving of the church. So uh, we just thought it was important to share some of his thoughts because he's someone that I don't always agree with, but I certainly respect. Right. I think is a voice of reason and clarity amidst a lot of chaos. And uh, so highly encourage you to head on over to the Facebook page and give that a listen, which leads me to a hard right turn, Brian. This is harder right turn as we've ever done. <laughs> it always feels like that, but this this time in particular, and I don't know at what point it becomes inappropriate for us to end the show like this. Yeah, I but think for now, it's still worth the laughs. I think. Yeah, for now we're gonna go for it. We're gonna end with some interweb insanity. It's stories that our producers have sent to us that uh, we have not seen, sound effects we have not heard, and that's how we're gonna land the plane here today on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. And that wacky music can mean only one thing. I can't believe we're still doing it. But I think you're right, Brian. I think it is important to laugh a little bit. Yeah. These are stressful times. And uh, if you're new to the show, the way we end the show every day is what we call interweb insanity. It's a couple of stories that our producers have found. They're usually pretty bizarre but we have not seen them yet 
and they have sound effects that we have not heard. So Brian Fromm and I just stumble our way through trying to read them. Usually we stumble being the operative word. Um, <laughs> I've struggled with these the last couple of days. So Brian Fromm, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, this first one's weird. Uh, <laughs> Mars Island, Jared Leto has started a cult on an island and his followers call him Prophet. I mean, for what it's worth, he looks like a prophet. He does. Actor, <laughs> musician, and now apparently Jesus 2.0, Jared Leto has often been a questionable figure, mainly when he started to dress, talk, and walk like Jesus. Or the representation of Jesus. How yeah, about that? Gosh, Jesus. His band, 30 Seconds to Mars, has always had a very dedicated following. If you watch any of their videos or live footage, you can quite clearly see people in the crowd losing their minds and looking like they're worshiping the ground he stage dives on. 30 Seconds to Mars fans are also known as the Echelon, a horde of mostly young females that endeavor to follow him everywhere he goes with the hope of an audience with him and his shiny beard. Excuse me, are y'all with the cult? We're not a cult. We're an organization that promotes love. And- yeah, this is it. You're not kidding, man. That one is weird. Later on, he goes, yes, it is a cult. So they got that going for you. Yeah, at, least, at least he's owning it, I guess. Yes. Well, that makes it better. All right. So uh, out of Toronto, Canada, Canada, the loft over a really great party telling you to turn the music down a little bit. <laughs> uh, uh, a single factory is now working 24-7 to keep craft Dinner on grocery shelves. Interesting. Craft Dinner production lines at the Montreal plant responsible for supplying all of Canada's mac and cheese supply are now working nonstop to produce 1 million extra boxes to meet an unprecedented demand during the COVID-19 pandemic. The engagement at the plant, I've never seen it this high, plant manager Danielle Negian told ctvnews.ca. Since COVID-19 was declared a pandemic last week, panic buying has prompted shoppers to stockpile their pantries. Kraft Kraft Heinz, which produces Kraft Dinner, has seen a 35% increase in demand for the pasta product and a 41% spike in demand for peanut butter. So what's the old saying? Not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Golly. I had no idea that was the thing that everyone was craving. Oh, man. Next one's out of our friends in Florida. Those people who are throwing the party that the people in Canada tell them to quiet down. 450-pound man tries to hide marijuana from police by using his stomach fat. Oh, my gosh. I'm pause for a second there. A central Florida man who weighs about 450 faces multiple charges after sheriff deputies say he hid cocaine and 23 grams of marijuana under his stomach fat. According to a new re- news release, a Volusia County Sheriff's deputy stopped a vehicle Friday after noticing a passenger wasn't wearing a seatbelt. According to the news release, uh, officials say 42-year-old Christopher Mitchell told the deputy that he's too big to wear a seatbelt. The deputy says he requested a drug-detecting dog because Mitchell and the driver appeared nervous. The dog detected the presence of drugs in the vehicle. In addition to the drugs on Mitchell, deputies say they also found a handgun and $7,000 in cash in the vehicle. Oh, boy. Well... Thankfully, yeah, Florida didn't let us down faster than it looks. Cow captured after two months in Florida. Police in Florida said a loose cow that had eluded capture since January was finally captured by officers who lured the bovine into an enclosed area. 
Are the police feeling a little bored in Florida right now? I know, seriously. Maybe we get wish the they, off we, beaches. Yeah, right. We wish the cow well on its future adventures, the department said. The police department said last week that the cow had been wandering the area since January and repeated failed capture attempts revealed the animal is, quote, faster than it looks and a talented fence jumper. Don't kid yourself, Jimmy. If a cow ever got the chance, he'd eat you and everyone you care about. Wow, this last one is crazy. Out of California, Disneyland closure ends man's 2,995-day streak of visits. No. Oh, my gosh. A diehard Disney fan who has visited California's Disneyland theme park every day for more than eight years ended his streak just shy of 3,000 days when the park temporarily closed. Disney announced it was temporarily closing Disneyland amid the coronavirus March 13th, causing Jeff Wright's 2,995 consecutive day at the theme park to lose his streak. The streak's ended, Wright said. The park is closing, but the calendar is not. He said he still plans to visit the park when it reopens, but his streak is over. On the negative side, I didn't get to choose the end. But on the positive side, I didn't have to choose the end. Wright said he planned to seek a Guinness World Record for a streak of Disneyland visits. He said all other frequent visitors that he's heard of ended their consecutive streaks after only one or two years. I'm still looking forward to coming back and having more fun, but it won't be that consecutive count anymore, Wright said. See, I didn't even think about stories like that where people's streaks or the records they're trying to break being inadvertently stopped. Eight years every day going to Disneyland. Wow. I'm just trying to think of the money money that would cost. My goodness. Well, I hope that was at least a uh, fun, lighthearted way to end the show amidst a lot of weight, a lot of stress. I do just want to say that Brian and I are legitimately praying for you all. Absolutely. We're right alongside you. Uh, keep leaning into God. It's where it says over and over again to fear not. And if there's anything that we can do to better lead or care for or shepherd you all, please don't hesitate to let us know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for trusting us with this platform. And uh, we will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're